Esther chapter 4, in verse, let's say, 14. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews. This is Uncle Mordecai who raised Esther. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance, they'll rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether or not you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I'm going to read that again. I want you to ask that of yourself this morning. Who knows? Maybe you've come to this kingdom, to this place in America, this town, this building. Maybe you've come. Who knows? Maybe for just such a time as this. Father, would you give us insight this morning to your word? We pray for it to be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path and ask for you to... um, Speak to each of us individually, corporately. And Lord, that if you're speaking to any one of us individually, just to check out and listen to you and not me this morning. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. I have, uh, we've been on a little bit of a journey talking about stewardship. You know, normally stewardship is code for its offering series, okay? Stewardship is normally code for a building campaign. But that's not, this is just stewardship. It was genuinely like, what has God given us and what can we be a steward of? We, we started out with being, a, you know, what does it mean to be a steward of our, our finances? And like in the basement right now, there are like 30 people that are on their fourth week going through Financial Peace University because God cares about 100% of your money, not just 10% of it. He doesn't even ask for 100%, but he cares about it. He cares for you. So that's what that was all about and continues to be. He cares about your time. We've talked about that for a couple weeks. It's the level playing ground for all of us is time. We each got 24 hours promised to us, and that's it. We didn't get promised tomorrow. We got 24 hours. It's a level playing field of time. And we want to be good stewards of, of that, that we just don't know when our last 24-hour period comes, and so to be able to say that I used this 24 hours. And if you remember, we talked a little bit about that even the calendar is really not about writing down what you need to get done as much as it's just writing down who do you want to become. The journey of who do you want to become starts on your calendar. But this week, I'm really captivated by this idea that there's something that God has called us to steward, not just our time, not just our treasure, not just our talents, which we'll talk about in the coming weeks. But there's something that he wants us to steward that you really can't see, even though you can feel it. You can't force it. You can exert it. And I believe that it's more valuable than most of the money in our pockets right now. It's something called, it's called influence. And that's what the story of Esther is, which is a nobody, an, an orphan who had no parents, who God took and made into somebody and ultimately would save everybody. Esther, just not from being powerful, not from being rich, but because of influence, and she chose to, when it came to the intersection of power or influence, when it came to the intersection of wealth or influence, she chose influence. And we live in a society right now where you can actually, really for the first time ever, show the value of influence, even monetarily. And if you don't believe me, I'd like to introduce you to the top-earning YouTube stars of 2016. I did some sermon research yesterday with my daughter Lauren and Kennedy and some 13-year-olds. And some of you, I'm about to blow your minds because these guys are raking it in, who I'm about to introduce you to, based upon their influence. 
and some of you already know this, these two guys, Rhett and Link. See what I'm saying? If you're under 15, you're like, I know them. $4.5 million. Just let that sit for a moment. For YouTube. I used to, when my son was little, we'd ask him, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And it was like FBI, CIA agent, you know. Just a couple weeks ago, he told me he wanted to be a YouTuber. Like college and career day, there's like a table for YouTuber now. Phoenix University is probably going to have a new major for YouTuber. Because that happened to Rhett and Link, uh, just in, by the way, just in 2015. And not to be outdone, Lindsey Sterling, you guys know who that is? Couldn't get a record contract. Nobody would give her any attention at all in the music industry. And uh, so what? Because $6 million later last year, through her YouTube channel, uh, it seems like that worked out pretty good for her. Right? And here's a tie for second place with the Fine Brothers at $8.5 million. Somewhere Dan Rather's like, but man, I didn't get paid that much for... 8.5 million, and here's what, if I understand, you guys correct me if you're 13 to 15, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think what these guys do is it's like they just play a video of the video and somebody watching the video of other people's videos. So it's like Inception, a video within a video. They don't have to make content, they just use other people's content and then film you watching like the funny cat video and apparently $8.5 million later, that worked out pretty good for old fine brothers. Not to be uh, outdone and tied for second place are the uh, the Smosh. You guys familiar with the Smosh? I actually have not heard of the Smosh. Uh, but $8.5 million in 2015 from Smosh. And I want uh, you kids, every time your parents who keep tell you, get off of that Xbox and get you know, do something useful with your life. Uh, PewDiePie didn't listen to his mom and raked in $12 million playing video games last year. Now let that sink in for a moment. <laughs> I'm terrible at Xbox, but I mean, I might, I could get good at it for that. But here's what I'm driving at. You're like, "What? This is great, Darren. I came to church, and now I'm, I'm, you know, it's PewDiePie." Here's why I'm sharing this with you. For the first time in history, in the entertainment business, so to speak, people are not paid as much for the the, the services that they deliver. Okay, back when the entertainment business was being born, back in the early 1900s. Uh, an agency was born called the William Morris Agency. And from that, they would negotiate for people like Charlie Chaplin and Dean Martin. And, but in the 1900s, you got paid from the music business, from the entertainment business, just like you were an electrician. I provided a service. You provided me a compensation for that. Does that make sense? Now, somewhere around the 70s, when the greatest rock band of all times, the Eagles, comes along, they, they figured out that they could also monetize not just their music, not just their uh, eight-track tapes. Not just their eight-track tapes. Not just their cassettes, but they could also monetize their influence. Corporations would write them checks because of their audience. And not just their audience, but so that they would be attracted to that because of the influence of the greatest rock band of all time, the Eagles, was... So much so that they would go out and buy a Chevy truck because the Eagles told them to do it. Their influence. Now, what's happening even up into the 1900s, the 1990s, is that money began to switch more, like more and more was coming to that. So that 
like in the early 2000s and late 1990s that some like when you know Lucy when Bobby would write a song he would they would play it on the record uh, on the radio they would they would buy it on a, you know whatever and and now I don't have to buy that anymore because it just I it's there on the little Spotify thing and so what's happened is the industry has changed dramatically and not necessarily for the better in some people's opinions mine um, but what's happening now is that an artist a talent a whatever sets up the YouTube channel and they're paying them not because of their ability but because of their influence. If you look at and break down those numbers of, of PewDiePie, the vast majority of the money that he has generated from playing Xbox is not because he's good at Xbox. It's because of his influence over others that watch his video. You can monetize the value of influence in our society like never before. And I will tell you this, that as weird as it is to a guy my age, we could take a lesson from that and say that our world values influence maybe more so than we do as the body of Christ because they at least recognize it and monetize it. We, as believers, have a tendency not to even know that our influence is valuable and squander it. And that's what I want to talk about for the next couple of weeks is influence. What is it? How do we get it? What do we do with it? Would we get more of it? How to, just to recognize even that we have it. Because in our world, right now, we're, we look at these guys and say, wow, that's amazing that you can make that kind of money for influence. On, the, on the, our side, on the believer side, there's a danger, I believe, that's inherent. And this is a little bit of a parenthetically, but I think it's worth mentioning. That what happens with so I, I used to manage a band uh, called uh, Cutlass, not like the car, but, it, but we did a deal with a, uh, with a company called Suzuki, okay? so, which meant that every time we said the Cutlass, Arts of the Innocent, to our sponsor, no, I'm sorry, powered by Suzuki. Because what they did is they paid us money so that people would say, oh, Cutlass likes Suzuki, we'll get their motorcycles or their cars. And what they did is they attached our name to their brand. And at one point, the guys had to say, do we really want to have our name attached to these motorcycles and these things. And they ultimately, you know, took, you said, yeah, we'll do that. And so they paid money so that we could sell motorcycles for them. Now, the point is this. In my world of Christianity, my day-to-day -day life, the danger for me is to take my agenda, my behavior with my spouse, my behavior as a driver, my behavior at a grocery store, my behavior with my coworkers, and drag God's name into it as if he endorses it. I am attaching his name to my agenda and thus taking his name in vain. Taking his name in vain isn't just when you stub your toe in the middle of the night and use your emergency language. I'm happy to report I had a successful non-usage of my emergency language. Um, you weren't in first service, were you? This will be news to you. If I'm, limping, if I'm limping a little bit today, it was because two nights ago we had a little water issue at the Tyler farm. So we're turning it off. We're like going Haiti silent night. Like kids have to fill up the bathtubs with water because we're, you know, we're turning it off because we have a leak somewhere. And so I'm going up. It's like dark and it's late. And I, I hit the, uh, the water off valve off at the house because it's water off time. And I'm walking down the hill towards the house. And um, th this spring, uh, fall, we, we, cut, we cut a couple of trees down, apparently not low enough. And 
and my big toe snagged on a tree stump. And you know how sometimes when the fall starts, you just got to submit to it? <laughs> I, uh, I attempted to resist the fall, futilely. And at one point, after large steps, and there's a moment where it's slow motion, where I'm even having a conversation with me, I'm going down. <laughs> I'm about to be face-planted on the ground in a non-charismatic moment in my life. And... I laid there for a couple of seconds with my face in the dirt and going, oh, my toe hurts so bad. And I was even to the moment thinking, if, I, if I've broke my toe, can I actually admit that this happened? Can I tell anybody? Uh, and happy to report, apparently it's not broken. But had I have used my emergency language, that is not the same taking the, names, the name of the Lord in vain as when I'm attaching his, uh, his name to my agenda. Okay? Influence is about the name of God merging with our abilities, our talents, and whatever, and invading the earth with his influence on others. And that's what I want to talk about. See, the book of Esther, how many of you have seen One Night with the King, the movie? Anybody? I have not. Yeah, he's right, because your mama told me about it. Elizabeth, hi, Elizabeth. Um, I've not seen this, but it's, a, it's the movie about Queen Esther. And the story of Esther is really a profound one. Because she didn't rise to power, okay? She wasn't queen like in Narnia. She was queen like in the Miss USA pageant. You get the crown, but no power, right? She's like the hottest of the hot, and so they roll her out in times of whatever, and then he puts her back in with the other people. That's, that was Esther's power, but it didn't start there. By the way, if you're a Bible student and you're not, uh, and if you're not, not check out and come back in in a minute. But if you're a Bible student, I want you to know that Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther are three books back to back tucked together in the Old Testament. But if you look at them chronologically, Ezra and Nehemiah happened at around the same time. Okay, they were some even believe at the same time in the Hebrew Bible. Ezra and Nehemiah are actually the same book. Okay, you following me? Okay, but Esther comes after those two books, even though in real time, in chronological order, she existed and she, this story that unfolds here happened before Ezra and Nehemiah. About 35 years, by some estimations, into Israel's 70-year captivity is when the story of Esther took place. So before anyone went to rebuild the temple, before anyone was sent back to Jerusalem, God was greasing the wheels with the influence of a young nobody, a young orphan named Esther. And at that moment in time, the the world that she walked into was the world of a man named Haman who was secretly plotting to destroy all of the Jewish people. A precursor of Hitler a direct descendant of Agag. You might remember Agag because God told Saul to kill all of the Amalekites. He wasn't being arbitrary or capricious because Haman, a direct descendant of Agag, the king that exists, if you look back in those stories, is now set to kill every one of the Israeli, the Jewish people. That was, you hear the Bible speak of familiar spirits. I I personally believe that's what it's talking about. That spirit of destruction anti-Semitism, that existed from the, the moment that Eve crushed his head, the prophecy. It started then because if Satan could wipe out the Jewish people, 
There could be no Messiah who would rise from the lion of the tribe of Judah, people of Israel. And I believe that it exists to this day, and we've seen it in the form of Hitler, and we see it now in the form of radical Islam, as they want to wipe out the Jewish people, because still to this day, Satan, if he could wipe out the people of Israel, then Jesus has no... Basically, if God breaks his promise to the Jew, how do we know he wouldn't break it to you? So his promises was to the Jewish people exist to this day, and if Satan can wipe Israel off the face of the earth, destroy Jerusalem, where would Jesus come back to to put his foot back down on? So I say that to say that, Haman, this was no screwing around. Esther was at a very dangerous time in history. And she was made queen. And God put her there so that she could exert influence. Now, the question, when we're going to learn from Esther, we're going to learn from ourselves, what is influence? What did Esther, what was influence for Esther? What do we do with influence? How do we get it and how do we get more of it? We're not going to cover all that today in case you're panicked. We've got plenty of time, even though these chairs are so cozy. And there's plenty. If anybody's looking for a nap, this row is wide open, and I won't say a word. What is influence? Maybe it's better to start with what it's not. It's not power. Authority. Authority is I tell my kids, go stand in the corner, right? And I've changed their geography. I might even change their behavior momentarily. But influence doesn't change behavior. It changes their thinking. Power changes Behavior, influence changes your thinking, and your thinking will ultimately change your behavior. Power is a short-term grab. Influence is a long-term play. And I'm talking about that with us, that we have influence like Esther had. Everybody has a modicum of influence. And when Esther was offered power, if you've got your Bibles open to Esther still, which I do not, if you've got your Bibles open there and you go over to chapter 5, you see that she was offered power I mean, think about what she's about to be offered. Miss USA, okay, the equivalent of that. Everybody knew who she was, and she had to crown, but no power. And now she's being offered, he says, verse 3, she's approaching the king about saving the entire people of Israel. And he says to her, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Verse 5, 3, and it shall be given you even to half of my kingdom. He offered her riches beyond her wildest dream. He offered her power over half of the kingdom. And Esther said no. She didn't take it. And that's astounding to me. Because she kind of maybe even thought, well, I have half the kingdom. Then I could, I could save my people. And then she would have started a civil war. Because she didn't change the thinking of the king. She didn't change the thinking of Haman. She didn't change. All she was doing was changing the power structure. But God, in his wisdom, she took the influence instead. And you get to see how she influences the king. And ultimately, because of the influence, received power, but not before she exerted influence to change the situation. Influence is not power. Influence is the ability to change somebody's thinking, their behavior, and their circumstances. And I think in terms of us as believers, in terms of us as parents, as us as grandparents, it's important that we recognize 
that God has given us this influence, not just to tell our kids to go stand in a corner, but to awaken the possibilities inside of them, to lead with grace and to teach them. There are moments of discipline, absolutely. But, you know, Benny's with us this morning when he taught that parenting class last year. He taught the phases of childhood, and there's a moment where we go from coach or from cop to coach. When, you're, when they're little and tiny, there's a moment where you're, you're going to do that, and I appreciate that you don't want to be in that car seat, but that, you know, I don't negotiate with terrorists or two-year-olds. But there's a moment when they're older, when I move from cop, and if I don't recognize that phase, I'm still trying to act like a cop when my job is coach, and I'm exerting power but not influence, and I change their behavior but not their thinking, and their thinking ultimately changes their behavior later in life. It takes a lot more faith. It takes a lot more grace. It takes 150% dependence on the Holy Spirit. But listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7 and 14. He says that the believing wife brings holiness into her marriage. And the believing husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children would not have a godly influence as parents. Our gig, our influence starts at home. And if it's all that we ever had was that influence, look at what happened with Esther who was influenced by Mordecai, an uncle who wasn't even their father. Her father was dead. His influence over Esther. I challenge you to go home and read the story this week. He didn't boss her around. He challenged her. He led her. He coached her and ultimately influenced her to make a decision. We get that chance as fathers and mothers. Grandparents, listen to me. Your kids need you. You've been to that rodeo. In, in our church fellowship, I've heard it before that, ah, you know, I just feel like I'm too old for this church. I feel like, you know, I'm not. We need you. You've been to the rodeo. You know some stuff that we don't know. Your influence. God knows we need it. And we're so grateful for those of you that, that give us that influence in our own fellowship today. Thank you for those of you that do that. For those of you in your 40s and 50s that think, you know what, my kids, I don't, you know. Those in their 20s, you know what they need? They need us to just love on them and influence them and say, you know what, eventually they will sleep through the night. You don't even have to use Benadryl anymore. They'll actually, will, they'll just sleep through the whole thing. Our tendency, we talk about this a lot. You know, I remember when Amber was pregnant on the first child and she said that every, it seemed like all the older people that she would encounter that had had babies, that the story, all she heard was the nightmare stories. Oh man, it was like, yeah, I, had to, like, I was in labor for 14 days and I, I had to cut me open and pull it out the top. I, you know, but, but sometimes with parents, we just need to love on them and just influence them and say, you know, it's going to be okay. Just a hug sometimes, just that it's going to be okay. To know that that influence, and for you that are in your 20s, I got teenagers that need you. You know, Audrey's with us this morning, but Audrey's been that to my kids. She's an influence. Because you know how it is. As a parent, you say something you just think is genius, and your parents, your kids don't even hear it, and all of a sudden, well, you know what? Audrey was just saying this, and I just thought that was so great. I've been saying that for 18 years. <laughs> but that influence, it's just part of the life. It's part of how life unfolds. So if you're in your 20s, man, look behind you. Who can you be influencing now? If you're a teenager, Listen to me, tune in. You can go right back to sleep. If you're a teenager, there are some eight to 10-year-olds. I'm a father of one of them, and they're watching you. They're looking at what you're doing. 
the Bassanio boys have been such a great influence on my son. He looks, it's like as if like Superman and Batman walk in. Like it's like small group night. Are Reverend Rocco going to be there? And they're like twice, like, have, like not twice as old, but they're older, considerably older than him. Their voices are much lower than his. <laughs> but you guys are here. They love, he just loves you guys. And, and you, just so you know, you've been a great influence on my son and thank you. And I could go on and on, but I want you to know if you're a young man or young woman that there are some children who are looking up to you. And when you're five, six, seven years old, I want you to know there are some toddlers. They're looking to you <laughs> about taking their cues from you. And I know over you're that age, you think it's just not fair. You're right, it's not fair, but it's a great privilege. Don't squander that influence. We all have it. We may not have tons of it. We might not be uber famous. But we can influence somebody right next to us and maybe that is the next person to come. Maybe it's the, listen, listen, maybe it's the next Esther that you're raising right now. Lord knows that our world needs an Esther. Our government needs an Esther. And maybe you're raising him. Maybe you're influencing. Just don't squander the influence, not don't confuse it with power. And by the way, that leads to the next question is if you have it, what do we do with it? And we can look at Esther and see that she did several things with it. She started at home with Mordecai and with her own family and she was influencing them and Mordecai was influencing her. But I think that it's not lost on me that what did Esther do was she used her influence to inspire others to rebuild their temple. She didn't go back to Jerusalem. She didn't swing a hammer. As far as we know, she didn't even write a check. But she influenced those who would go and rebuild their temple. And for us in our lives, when we're working with the kids here on a Sunday morning, what are we doing? We're inspiring them to transform their temple of the Holy Spirit, their own bodies and their own lives. You know, Phyllis, the work that you've done with young women, you're inspiring them by your own story to transform their temples of the Holy Spirit and to rebuild what the enemy meant to be broken and destroyed. You're inspiring them to rebuild their own temple. You can't fix them, can you? But the Holy Spirit through them can. So our gig is to inspire them to go and to rebuild the temple of the Holy Spirit, their own lives. You're not just watching babies in the nursery. You're setting them on a path. You're, by example, inspiring them to rebuild their temples with the K through five, the teenagers, when we're youth workers in those small groups. You're inspiring them to rebuild their temples. That's what Ruth, Ruth, that is what Esther, wrong Bible, what Esther did, and it's what we get to do as well, is to inspire others to rebuild their temples. When I look at Benny and Mary Lou, that what first priority is, is not about them going out in every, you know, 10,000 locations across the United States right now, Bible clubs, not even including around the world. Benny doesn't have enough hours in the day to go and to inspire them to transform their temples, but he's inspired those that transform temples to inspire others to transform, it's what we call discipleship. Disciples who make disciples. And if we could use anything for our influence, man, why not that? Why not inspiring those to inspire others? You could use your influence to make money. No question about it. People do it every day. And it's not even inherently wrong. 
But if that's all you did with it was just make money, a lot of lonely people at the end of their lives who made a lot of money and squandered their influence. She used her influence to encourage those around her to rebuild their temples. She used it to reach the heathen nations. She was in a nation that did not believe in God as Jehovah. They had many gods, but she used her influence in the way that Paul spoke of in 2 Corinthians 10 when he said, in regards to the influence in verse 13-ish, influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. And he goes on to say in verse 15, but our hope is that as your faith increases, that our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may be able to preach the gospel in lands beyond you. Paul was saying, use your influence, not just in your own town, but use it to gain influence into the nations. Our little nickel and dime operation, this little building, we have influence all around the world. Don't ever confuse power with influence. We have no power in this town. I've got nothing. In the music industry, we joke that, you know, you're only as popular as your most popular client. I, I got no clients. <laughs> I got nothing. When, you're, when you've got artists that are super popular, you can call and people answer the phone. I promise you right now, if I picked up my phone and started dialing people that I used to work with, I'd go right to voicemail. I got no power anymore. But I'd say what we have is we have influence. We have influence here and around the world that the Lord has given us, and please let us all be good stewards of that influence, that our sending capacity will always outpace our seating capacity, that we get the chance. A pastor challenged me not long ago to say, you know, hey, Darren, do you just want to be a place where people come? Just that you, Basically, his words were, do you want to be a haven for people that think like you do? That's all yours. Just a bunch of people that think like you do, and we just a haven of that. That's also, by the way, known as your Facebook newsfeed because of algorithms. The people that you're shouting out under the Facebook world to, they're just all the same people that think like you do. You become a haven of people that think like you do. Or do you want to be influential enough to speak into someone's life to shake them up enough to think like you do? That's what I want. I want us to be able to speak through our our lives, through our actions, through our radical generosity to influence others who may not think like we do. So that someone told me a long time ago, Darren, you know, you guys as a church, you're going to give all your money to all those little black babies and you're not going to have any left for your own church. And that's an incredibly insensitive and racist thing to say, but he didn't know it. So I can get mad at him, and by the way, I was, where I can spend enough time poking at him, poking at him, poking at him, and using my influence so that a church that sends their people with us on mission trips every year. Five years ago, my first conversation with him was, I don't really have a heart for that kind of thing. You have to talk to my wife. She's more, she likes kids more than I do. This is a pastor. He said, you know, like when a poor person comes in here, I mean, I just want to tell him to get a job. That was five years ago now. They send us money every month for our mission overseas. They send multiple teams. We'll have another team going with us overseas this summer. Not because I got mad and I rose up on them, but because I just slowly and just drip, drip, drip of influence. That's why we sometimes take pastors overseas with us because I can preach at them all day long. They ain't going to hear a word of it, but man, I drop them right in the middle of Haiti and oh, wow. 
That's why I think, by the way, parents, one of the greatest things you could ever do with your children is drop them into a developing nation with you and just let them experience it. 52 sermons a year can't do what a week in Haiti can do for your child. I'm not sales pitch, by the way, but I'm saying, I don't care where you go. You can influence your children in that way way more than you can preach to them, which brings me to the next thing that she did, and that is that she, verse 14 of chapter 4, spoke up for those who had no voice. The people of Israel had no voice. They had no seat at the table. Haman had all the power, and he wanted to crush them. And she so much spoke up for them that it was at the the risk of her own life. If you want to see how little power Esther had, she said in verse 14, uh, 16 of chapter 14, then I will go to the king, though though it's against the law. She's the queen. It's against the law for her to go to the king. And listen to this. And if I perish, I perish. If I die, I die That kind of passion, that kind of influence, speaking up for those who have no voice, even if it costs you your own life. Let that be, hopefully, at some point in all of our lives, we could come to that. But in our world right now, you don't even have to travel around the world to speak up for somebody who doesn't have a voice. 59 million children have been aborted since 1973. We need to have a voice that speaks up on behalf of them. Jason, Sarah, you guys standing outside at a, in a clinic down on West End with balloons, and you're speaking up for someone who just didn't have a voice. That is a good use of your influence. You're influencing your children to say that that child matters. You're using your influence, and it doesn't, even if nothing changes, you're at least spending influence on behalf of them. Nicole, when you're speaking up on behalf of orphans and helping orphans become adopted and you're speaking up on behalf of those who have no voice every day. I cannot think of a better use of our influence than to speak up. Not just type it. Something's happened in our society. It's called slacktivism. We have this idea that if I just type it on Facebook that now I've done something. Nothing wrong with it. In fact, Twitter and Facebook, the politicians are mining the information. So there's nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. They want to know, and they're looking for political cover. And the more tweets that they see, just like when Five Seconds of Summer is trying to win some contest on Twitter, on the political side, they're studying it to figure it out. So there's nothing wrong with that. Don't hear me say that. But if that's all we do, aren't we just really preaching to the choir? Am I really just standing off my back patio and shouting to to the goats? But pray of how maybe you could speak up on behalf of them whether it's sponsoring a child through an organization, whether it's, listen, parents, whether it's just talking to your own kids about it, you're speaking up on behalf of them. In Matthew 25, he says, uh, he talks about, for those of you who visited me, we've talked about this here before, but visiting me when I was in prison, speaking about the least of these brothers of mine, which specifically was in reference to those who are being persecuted and beaten and oppressed for his name's sake. He talked about, if you visited me while I was in prison, visited them, it's like you visited me. That word visit, if you remember, is the word erkomai, which in the Greek simply means to go and visit, but to bring before the public. So when we're advocating on behalf of those in the Middle East who are being persecuted, when we're talking about it, when we're talking to reporters and tweeting them and saying, why won't you speak on behalf of this person? We are erkomai-ing them while they are in prison. We're bringing them before the public. 
Saul, uh, Solomon in Psalm 72, go there later, we don't have time for it, but most powerful, influential guy of the world at his time. And what did he pray in Psalm 72? Prayed for more influence. And why would he use his influence? He said, why give me more influence, God? So that I can speak up for the poor and the oppressed, so that I can provide for the needy. That is a genuinely God way to spend your influence, speaking up on behalf of those who have no voice. Esther used it as well in a political process. Proverbs 11, verse 11 speaks that the good influence of godly citizens causes a city to prosper, but the moral decay of the wicked drives it downhill. Boy, doesn't that sound familiar. Us rising up with our influence in this world is not a bad thing to do. Did you know that tens of millions of Christians, Christ followers, didn't vote in the last election? I don't even understand that. I have that, I have, I have that influence. That influence, I get to write a name on a ballot if it doesn't already exist on there, and God only knows what we're going to do with anyway. But just know that not using your influence there is squandering it and wasting it. I'm a firm believer that God uses believers and he really especially loves using nobodies. So you can't have extraordinary without ordinary. He loves to take ordinary people and then do extra stuff with them, extraordinary things. And I believe that our nation heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. But we have a voice. Like no other time in history, we have a voice. I'd ask for you to prayerfully consider that as this election year is unfolding, to use your voice. Not for your agenda. Don't attach my agenda to his thing and then say it's a God thing. That gets us in trouble all the time. Don't take his name in vain in the political process either. There are some things that we, well, I don't know what he thinks about this or I don't know what he thinks about that, but boy, there are some things we know about. He loves those who have no power and no voice. He loves those who the world has rejected. There's no gray area there. That's only Jesus. Put that in your pipe and smoke it and think about it. Guys, I want our church, I want all of us to be able to look back on our time on earth and say that I didn't squander my influence. I might not have a lot of it, but I didn't squander what I had. In the early days of my music career, I had this, well, there's a while actually where I thought, man, you know, you can't be famous and be a Christian and not just absolutely lose your mind. There was a period of time in my career where I represented some clients that I thought were, uh, we had what we call the rapture guarantee, <laughs> which means even if the rapture happened, they were still showing up. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> because we're all at different levels of brokenness and fame does weird things to us. There's a period where I thought you couldn't be famous and be a Christian. I, I thought they couldn't coexist. Now, what I learned later was that that's not true. You could, what you can't be is a star emulating your own light and being a Christian. That's where the mixture happens. Fame is just a platform from which to speak from. The more famous you are, the higher your platform is, and you might ought to have something to say once you get there. 
And you might not want to wait until you get there to figure that out. Bad way to do that. So the company that my wife and I started back in 2001 was called Platform Artist Management. Had a real simple idea, and that was that we wanted to build platforms for people that actually had something to say. We did great some days. We did bad other days. But it was during that time that the Lord really kind of started chastising me, saying, hey, I appreciate, you know, building a platform for them so that they can say something with their influence. But what about you, Darren? What about your influence? By the way, God doesn't talk to me like that at all. Like, I don't, technically, I've actually never even heard his voice, so I don't know if you have. I'd love to know what it sounded like, but that's not, you know, I'm just like you. But in my heart, he began to speak. Like, I just, you know, he says, I'll write your, my will on your heart and on your mind. And on my heart and my mind, I'm thinking, what is the influence I have? And all I had was this Bible, and I was just a guy that was talking to Cody this week that, you know, he, he was talking about, I just want to know more about the scriptures, and I want to learn this and understand that. And I'm like, man, that's your, you're just a teacher. That's what you are. The idea is that a teacher knows or is smarter is a complete fallacy. All a teacher is is ridiculously curious. And if I can make it make sense for me, then it'll make sense for you. That's all a teacher is, somebody who just can't let it go. <laughs> it just can't let it go until it makes sense. That was, that was all I had was that little thing, and I just loved the scriptures. And the Lord, just like Esther, with, he just sort of kept moving the pieces without me even really knowing that was what was happening. And we started this little Bible study. And then, weirdly enough, people started coming to it. And then now what do we do with these people that are here? And our idea was just really simple. It was, like, well, if, if, if anybody gives money, why don't we just give it to our buddy Lafleur in Haiti because he probably needed it more than we do. That was about as much thought as we put into it. But that influence began to grow. And it grew and it grew and it continues to grow. I found myself at a table. I was laughing with Mo about it this week. I mean, I'm at a table with literally pastors this week. There was 10 pastors invited to this thing. And if you remember the Sesame Street song, can you guess which one is not like the other? That was me. Because these are great guys, great pastors in their churches. They have like usher teams that are larger than this room, right? I mean, it's like this. I'm, and I'm at this table not because I'm particularly powerful, but because God is just giving us a little bit more influence in this community and in the world. And I remember I was sitting there this week just praying, God, don't let me squander this moment. I may never get back at this table again. So I spoke up and said some things, and, and I don't know, maybe I won't get invited back again, but I didn't want to squander the moment and squander the influence. When he talks about it, you, I entrust you with little, you'll be given much. I don't know what else he was talking about, but I really and truly believe he was talking about influence. And for us to steward that influence at home starts with us with little, influencing with the kids in the nursery, influencing... Gosh, Kelly, what you guys are doing with your homeschool cooperative every day, every Monday in this building right here are dozens and dozens and dozens of kids who are being influenced by their parents, who are being influenced by Kelly because the organization called Shannon that allows these children to be influenced, you're stewarding that influence really well. What is the influence that you have this week? We're going to talk next week about how to get it and where it comes from how to get more of it, that it's actually okay to pray for more of it. It's definitely one thing that we see in the scripture over and over again, whether it was Paul or whether it was Solomon, praying for more of it. But before we can ever go there, we gotta be faithful with the influence that we have. This week, today, grandparents, go be influencers of your kids and your grandkids. 
Grandparents, one of the greatest influence gigs in the world. It's like the library. You just go check them out and you put them back when you're done. Not bad, huh? But I promise you, as a guy who used to look to my grandfather and wonder what he was thinking, wonder what he was saying, I remember the influence that that man had on me that he didn't even know, good and bad. Grandparents, you have a lot of influence in this world with your own family, and you've got influence with the husbands and wives and the young couples here who are just fighting and wondering, is my marriage going to make it? And if they get to hear the influence of your story, I mean, how many times have you been married 30, 40, 50 years? Did you actually look back at your marriage and think it's over? But you push through. That story is a story that can influence others, and that's what we're going to talk about next week is how in your own story, Paul said in 1 Corinthians, but in the way that you were healed, in the way that I took care of you, now you will minister to others in that same area. I think one of the most powerful ministries right now to those in the, uh, the abortion ministry of reaching out are those who have gone through abortions yourself. To give hope and to take away the shame and to love on those who just think there's no hope. There's a ministry there that God can minister to others through you. This week today. Be mindful of the influence that God has already given you. And to know that it's a gift that was granted to you, that it's on loan from him to you. Let's not waste it. Let's not waste those moments of influence. Your kids are only young ones. Don't waste the influence. Let's stand and pray. Father, I am uh, I'm grateful for the influence that you've given me. I'm grateful for the influence that you've given our fellowship co- corporately and as we cooperate and work together, you've given us influence that far outpaces what we should have. Thank you for that. For those times that we haven't used it well, for those moments that I've squandered it, I, I'm sorry and I repent of that and changed my mind and And know that I'll do it again tomorrow, but know that I'm perfectly forgiven. But Lord, let there be more wins than losses. Let there be more of me doing it right and less of me blowing it this week as I'm reminded of the idea that I have influence in my job, influence in traffic, influence at school, influence with the kids that are younger. Oh, Lord, just let us recognize those moments. In fact, Holy Spirit, I ask you selfishly just to, absolutely grab me by the nap of the neck and get my attention in moments when I am missing it with my influence this week. And I ask you to do that for everybody here as well. That we would use our influence wisely. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.